It's been a long time, Jeremy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. So it really has been a long time. We weren't kidding. Just been a lot going on. We're a lot going on. You both. came. You finally. You finished up your sabbatical. Yep. Started another year of academics. Jeremy's cross country coaching. Yeah, moved my oldest into college. That was that was a a day. I wish we did video because I would love for everyone to see you right now. On his chest, he has Paulding cross country. And on his head, he has Toledo, uh, Toledo Rockets. Rockets. Yeah, my son's <laughs> University of Toledo. So we they play Ohio State next week. I think. Yeah, football. It's not going to be a good day for them. <laughs> for the Rockets, you don't yeah. think? You don't no. think they've got a shot? Yeah, I don't. I I don't know. We'll see. You know, uh, I realize you're an Alabama fan, so you don't talk Ohio State football a lot. It always, um, it seems like you know we do the in-state thing. Um, and they're they're usually not close games. The game, the team. This is just completely an aside. Has nothing to do with our with our podcast. It's just something that's in my mind right now. Yeah. The team that we play consistently that we're is never supposed to play close. That always gives us a run for our money is Purdue. I don't know what they, what kind of magic sauce they have that they eat. You know, before the game. But Purdue legitimately seems to always be, just like the the game that we're supposed to. That Ohio State's supposed to just. You know, pummel them, and they they'll upset us. They'll play us. Real yeah, close, my know. guess is Ohio State looks past them to the yeah the next opponent. Usually. You know, and yeah. and they're probably not thinking much of Purdue. And Purdue, right. you get their best game, and if you're not, you know, right. So I don't know. Well, so look at us dissecting college. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. It's gonna be it's <laughs> be a always, fun year. It's yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun. So Jeremy, since we've since we've talked, there was. This uh, situation with the famous evangelical pastor in Texas, Matt Chandler, and several others too. Yes, he's the more prominent one. Yeah, and the, and so it just uh, he uh, had the situation where he was like instant messaging, or do the, it's DM? Is that direct messaging? I, I'm, is that what the with, kids say? <laughs> well, yeah, direct messaging with a woman that wasn't his wife on Instagram and. Somehow, the, like his church board, you know, got a hold of this, and she confronted him about it, and they're, you know, they're going going through this this process of him being suspended indefinitely, and there. So we're not gonna we're not just gonna try to drag you know Matt Chandler's name through the mud necessarily today, or you know talk about this situation that obviously we don't really know much about, but we are going to talk today about this phenomenon of mega church pastors. And scandals and kind of what is the deal in evangelicalism right now with the big personality thing? What's that all about? So before we go there, I I have a question for you. I'm springing this on you. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Ready? I'm curious, Jeremy. Why did you become a pastor? What What in the world led you to pastoral ministry? What motivated you to be a pastor? That's a very good question. Um, and I hope you'll share yours. Yeah. Too. Um. It's so funny because I did some adjunct teaching at Mount Vernon when I was there. And every class I started is we always started with what did your call to ministry look like? Because I think it's really important to to remember why you're taking this class and to remember why you're here. And that I had a professor who said the call isn't the only it doesn't just get you started. Sometimes it's what keeps you going. Um, and so I think that for me, it was um, 
growing up, I grew up in a small church. I grew up with um, very involved. My dad led the music. Uh, I played the you know the piano. Um, had some little old ladies who just always encouraged me and said I would be good in ministry. Um, had a, a actually a high school teacher wrote in the bottom one of my papers, you'd probably make a good pastor. Really? Yeah. I don't know That's what cool. the paper was even about, but yeah. I remember that specifically. And, um, and so then went to college and honestly was undecided my first year, my major, um, and then just took a Bible class and really enjoyed it and thought maybe I should just be a religion major. Just I really was just digging, getting into the Bible more. And uh, I was actually in a Nazarene history and polity class, and my professor was talking one day about a guy who went to his pastor and was like, man, all these little old ladies keep telling me I'd be good, a good pastor or whatever. He's like, what do I do with that? And then, then he said the pastor looked at the guy and said, you don't think God uses little old ladies to call people in the ministry anymore? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like wow. this is the direction I needed to kind of pursue and, and get into. And so like I said, just being very involved all through my um, growing up and teenage years. And then so just started kind of and, you know, doing um, internships um, and and became a youth pastor, was a youth pastor for about 12 years. And then here I am a, a senior pastor. And, and towards the end of my the last church I was at just was even talking to my senior pastor then about thinking that that this was going to be the next move. And so that's kind of a short synopsis of, of, of where I am today, but that's kind of how I got started, I guess. Here's a one more question with that yeah. question. You have had a variety of ministries that you've been a part of as a, as a pastor, not just a senior pastor. Sure. Did you feel like when you became the senior pastor of Pauline Church of the Nazarene, that that was when your pastoral ministry career began? <laughs> I hope not. Um, a lot of hours and driving vans and teens places and all kinds and a lot of sermons that maybe looked a little different than maybe a Sunday morning, but yet still presenting the gospel and, and who Jesus is calling us to be. Um, so if I hope that, uh, that all of it was pastoral ministry on, on some level. Um, yeah. And I would, I would, I would say the church typically would view it as such. I mean, they did ordain me to be an elder when I was a youth pastor right. yeah, and, and right. you know, like I feel like I understand that sometimes, it doesn't always um, feel like that that you're viewed as as that equal um, or and that that sounds like a bad word, but you know. So I I don't know. Like, but I I feel like all of it was in service to the church and, and the yeah. call that God had on my life. I guess. Well, I had a I had a um a pastor, a mentor of mine. I, I was visiting with him a couple of years ago, and he said to me, you know, like the thirty year old version of myself. He said. He said to me, Jonathan, when are you going to start pastoring? Because I've chosen not to be a senior pastor. I'm an associate pastor and have always been an associate. I've always worked under the senior pastoral ministry of someone else in my life. And I said, I said to him, when am I going to start pastoring? I am right now. Yeah. I think what you're asking is when am I going to have the title and I just got to tell you, man, I'm not waiting for it. I'm just doing it, you know? Well, my nephew, my brother is a youth pastor. And my, I was visiting and I told him that I was kind of the lead pastor. And they were sharing with him at the time. That was the equivalent of their senior pastor and what that looked like. And so his response was, oh, so you're a real pastor. Wow. 
yeah i mean that's what people that's it yeah and and so you know my brother's like dude i'm your dad what are you doing you know and it was just kind of a funny moment but that's that mentality i guess is very prevalent unfortunately and in the church. So tell me your call. Like, yes, how did you there? I think there are a lot of similarities between the two of us. I have always loved the church. I've always been a part of the church. I have had people throughout my journey affirm maybe the call of God in my life. There was a moment that I remember as a child when I was 12, where a man was preaching and I don't remember what he was preaching, but I felt very strongly impressed in my heart. That's what you're called to do. Mm. Or this is the thing that I'm going to do with my life or, you know, and I, the thing that's interesting about memory is I remember that moment and I've always held on to it. And then as I've gotten older, people have asked me the question, what's your call to ministry? And I've just looked back at that moment to kind of pacify that question. So, well, it was this moment right here. Sure. So there you go. There's, you know, but, but very seriously, I really do remember that as a significant moment for me. And there have been people all along the way that have just, in, that have encouraged me and affirmed me. And furthermore, Thinking that I was going to be a pastor from a young age also shaped the way that I lived, you know, so I, I didn't mess around with drugs and alcohol. I didn't mess around with girls. I wasn't, I lived my life from a young age in such a way kind of recognizing this is the direction that I'm going to live with integrity. And to me, a pastor was someone who cared for a flock of people. And it wasn't until I was, um, I grew up as a young as a youngster in small country churches, so it wasn't until I we came to the Lima Community Church of the Nazarene as a family uh, in around like the late '90s, early 2000 uh, that um, I saw kind of a big church where the pastor had more of a public role, not so much a private pastoral shepherding role. You know, the role of the pastor in the megachurch kind of became the preacher in the face, you know, whereas what I had known when I was young was the pastor as the shepherd yeah. personally, right? you know. And so we started talking about kind of pastoral ministry. Just talk just a little bit. What were your experiences as a kid growing up when you thought of what it meant to be a pastor? What did that mean to you? What were you, what would aspiring to be a pastor mean? So growing up in a small church and I feel like it was always about people and mm. and being with people and and journeying with people and um and, and so I guess in my mind I've always viewed what my role was as a pastor even as a youth pastor was how do I be with the people how do yeah. I how do I truly try to create moments and opportunities to 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 just be present because I think that's where real discipleship happens. I think that's where real growth happens. I think that's where real trust happens that they're, when you do get up to speak, that they trust what you're saying because they know you and they've, they, they've seen you in real life situations. Um, that, that the authority I think of the spoken word comes because they trust you and they know you as a person and they see the integrity, they see the life that you're living. They yeah. see that you're not just giving a bunch of, of um, lines for how they should live, but you're really trying to actually live it out in your life as well. Probably not always killing it, but they see that and they see, but they see that you're aspiring to be like Jesus and, and, 
and the call that you're asking them to have on their life as a follower of Jesus, you're actually trying to do that as well. And there's no other way to do that than, than being with people, I think. And, and so, like I said, just growing up, like I remember, you know, we were, we were small enough, especially when I was a young child, we'd have moments when we did communion and we'd all get around the front of the church, the yeah. altar or whatever. Wow. And it was just this intimate, like, moment where the whole church was down there and and that just was very etched in my memory that that was that was a, a big deal I guess um and so like and, and there's many other moments you know like I said that they would give me as a teenager an opportunity to participate and and be involved and and do things that um that maybe you don't get the opportunity in bigger churches as a teenager that they, they invested in me and they, they said, sweet, let's do this. Teach. I taught a Sunday school class for, for kids when I was a teenager, you know, and, and just yeah. had those opportunities that um, because it was about the people and, and trying to grow and trying to be together, understanding that we, the only way to do it is to do it together. Um, just left a big impression on, well, this is what the church looks like i guess and if somebody's hungry then we figure out how to get them food and there's a funeral we're all there because they're part of our church and we're going to be there for them um and so i i think that just growing up that way <laughs> jonathan phone ringing in the middle sorry yeah. um growing up that way that's the impression i've got of that's how you truly make an impact on people's lives and in the community and um yeah well, I think that I think that what the reason I asked the question is that I really do think that what we envision regarding pastoral ministry shapes what we become. Yeah. And what pastoral ministry looks like. And I feel like in America right now in evangelicalism, we have a problem with our perception and our expectation of pastoral ministry. Yeah, I don't know if you get this, but this is something that drives me crazy. Um is people come to me like, I know you're so busy, but do you have time? And I'm like, what else do I have to do but to spend time with you? You know what I'm saying? Like they, yes. they have this, this. I know you're busy and, 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 and it's like, well, can I decide what I do with my time and what I think is important rather than you just assuming that I've got too much to do to spend time with you? Does that make sense? And so yes. they have this, like, that's what I'm here to do. Well, that's the thing. Is I'd that much rather do that than... People don't have the perception. So... I don't know if that's the, I no. Know. I think I think probably the most prominent metaphor for pastoral ministry that I have in my own mind is shepherd. Hmm. The pastor is the shepherd. Mm -hmm. So, what a shepherd does is a shepherd just hangs out with his sheep, yeah. and guides them and leads them. That's what a shepherd does. Right. I don't think that our people have a sense of the shepherd as the pastoral metaphor. Now, probably partly because they don't want to perceive themselves as sheep. <laughs> you know. Right. But but I I do think that the idea is that that we think of the pastor as CEO. Yeah. And the CEO always has pressing meetings and decisions to make and vacations to go on and you know all these types Absolutely. of things. And so when we think of and, and Part of the problem with our people's perception of pastor is also who are the popular pastors, which is part of the point of this this podcast today. Right. I remember when I was uh, younger, uh, I don't know, maybe it was one of the earliest, the first times that I ever went to the Global Leadership Summit. So this is maybe the early 2000s, and Craig Rochelle was a speaker. He wasn't leading, he was speaking at it. 
And he said, you know, as a leader, I was about to do the Craig Rochelle voice, which isn't very nice. He does you have raised your shoulder. Like he does have very big muscles, <laughs> you know. You had to bulk up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, he said, you know, every morning, you know, I you know, I get to the office and at three o'clock every day, I leave the office and I go work out because that's what I've got to do. And, you know, everybody that works with me, they all know I'm leaving at three o'clock to go work out, you know, and don't bother me. And leaders, you have to, you need to schedule your life like that and, you know, let people know when you're going to be, where you're going to be and this everything. And I thought to myself, and this is me as a 20 something, I thought to myself, well, that's interesting because I'm a, you know, associate pastor at a small church and people start getting off of school and work at three o'clock. I don't know how I would tell everybody in my congregation, hey, don't call me for your emergencies after 3 p.m. Right, right, right. Or, or I don't even know how I would, you know, connect with people as far as just coffee and visitation, you know, th- that would just limit me to pre-work, pre-work and lunchtime, you know, if I was kind of doing what he d- was doing. But then as I learned more about who Craig Rochelle is, I realized he is this, this mega church pastor leader, leadership guru guy, you know, and for him, the shepherding pastoral calling part of pastoring is not primarily what he does. He's CEO and preacher. Right. You know? And I feel like... uh, So fast forward to now in Lima, that I'm in Lima, I found that probably the favorite author, pastoral author, that the people in my... that my lay people read is Craig Rochelle. Which is just so funny to me because in some ways I'm trying to provide for them a pastoral ministry paradigm that is very different than Craig Rochelle's and I'm never going to be that guy. And what they continually kind of want me to be or they aspire for is this thing that they buy at the bookstore from this guy who's this, you know, CEO preacher pastor. Yeah, I think I feel like there's this this um not just in pastoral ministry, but I feel like it's kind of bled into pastoral ministry is this this drive and this want to how many views on my video can I get? How many retweets can I get? How many, um, I know during COVID, like when we were doing Facebook live only and nothing, nobody was in church, we'd get real excited about how many people were viewing. Well, they could have literally been watching for three seconds. Um, yeah. but it, you, you get this, like this unrealistic understanding of maybe how many people you're actually going after. I, I was listening to a comedian's podcast and he was saying that as comedians, you need to be a comedian just to make people laugh. If you're doing it for the click, if you're doing it, if that's your goal as a comedian is to see how many clicks you can get on YouTube, how many people are tweeting your stuff, and you're not doing it just for the the sheer understanding of being a comedian. He's like, because if people click on you, then they come to your show and you're terrible or you're you're just an awful comedian what do you got? You know, like it's going to go away really quick. But if you're just doing it for just the pure understanding that this is what I think I'm supposed to do. And I think pastors run into the same problem as we see the Craig Rochelle's. And, you know, I don't think we're saying that his books are terrible or anything, you know, I don't think great insights. Yeah. 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 But, but, but I just think that, that pastors are like, Oh man, if I could write a book and, and get recognized and get to go on the talk show, or come up with the new technological thing. And forgetting the reason that you got into the call and the ministry to begin with was to hopefully 
bring people into this understanding of the kingdom and what that whole thing looks like. And if you forget that, then you can get sidetracked and you could be too busy to meet with people and to be with people. And so I feel like there's this, and, and I think that that's why things um, have been potentially not, this isn't the only reason, but one of the reasons is when you have that celebrity pastor is they are kind of detached from, from the everyday people and the people that come to their church and the people that my guess is, is a lot of people would say Matt Chandler is their pastor or that Greg Groeschel is their pastor. And they've never been to livechurch.com or whatever. Maybe never met them. Never. Yeah. Never met them. And, and so I just think that, that, that when there becomes this disconnect um, between real life and somebody who is speaking into your life, the, 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 the chances of getting off track, even in your own heart and life, if there's no checks and balances and there's no um, spiritual discipline or a spiritual leader speaking into your life, the chances of getting sidetracked from that original call and understanding as to why you got into the ministry to begin with. I mean, I think it'd be so easy, I guess. Yeah. It'd be so easy to think I'm doing this to make the videos. I think we see that a lot in the Driscoll stuff and yeah. the podcast that it was all about the, the, the videos and the podcast and the, uh, as we're doing a podcast, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was all about, but it was all about how do we get you out You guys there? are frauds. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing the same thing. How do you get out on the, listen, as Jonathan said many times, we're not getting paid for this. So we're <laughs> not, uh, um, so I, I think that, that that's why it's important to remember. And I think we see this. I think Jesus shows us that this, this could potentially be dangerous because he was drawing all kinds of crowds. And yet when he got a big crowd, he knew that there was potential that they were going to, to try to do something that would be contrary to who he came to be. They were going to try to make him king. They were going to try to 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 bring in this political revolution that they wanted to go overthrow the Romans. And so anytime a big crowd would come, you hear Jesus saying, All right, we gotta get out of here. Like this is yeah. this is not it. And he was all the time getting alone with the twelve. And then sometimes just the three, um, Peter, James, and John, because I think he understood that we that people are drawn to the big crowd. People are drawn to that Cause it's fun. Let's just be honest, getting a crowd of people together and they're all there having a good time. I mean, it is yeah. fun. Like I, I, I'm not knocking that whatsoever, but is it really where spiritual discipline, where spiritual growth, where true pastoring happens? I think it's a little more difficult to make that happen. Yeah. Oh, you're that beautiful monologue. <laughs> yeah, <it was> long. <laughs> inspired, <Sorry>. inspired me <laughs> with a couple of thoughts. The first one was thinking about, one of the things I didn't say about why I came into pastoral ministry is that the church changed my life. Yeah, I know what it's like to be someone who doesn't have a sense of identity, who feels lost in the world, and to have a youth pastor and youth leaders call to me and invite me to come and be a part of life with them and a community with them. Discipleship changed my life. And very early on, I realized that's what I want to do with my life is I want to call other people into relationship that might change and positively affect their life, you know, and I um, have continued to uh, perceive outsiders and I see the, I see the kids that were like me, you know, I see the people that are on the outside and I want to make them a 
that that to me is what pastoral ministry is about because it's what pastoral ministry was about to me and how it affected me in my life. The other thing I want to say is one of the problems of the megachurch evangelicalism kind of disembodied cult personality thing, this idea that you said, you know, there are, pe- there are people that I met a lady, get this, I met a lady in Indiana. I may have, we may have shared this on a podcast last year or so. I met a lady in Indi- Fremont, Indiana, who she says, we were talking about church and where she goes to church. And she said, I go to Elevation Church or Elevation Church in North Carolina is my home church. <laughs> I'm being serious. And I, I said to her, you wait, you live in Fremont? So you drive every weekend? She's like, honestly, probably, you know, once every month or two months, I do go down. But yeah, I watch online. And I thought, this is so interesting. You know, actually, this was pre-COVID. This was before COVID. So this is years ago. This is probably four or five years ago now. And I thought to myself, like, this is so interesting. Mm. The church is no longer a localized group of people that get together and embody community. It's cult following. And this is actually not the incarnation. This is anti-incarnational theology. So Christianity, Christianity is based on this one idea, that the God of the word, the God of reason, the God of ideas, the God of logic, the God of creation came down and was the infinite was embodied in the finite Hmm. and that infinite who was embodied in the infinitude discipled and walked around with particular people at a particular time in particular places in human history yeah okay that's that is the central claim of christianity is that the infinite god limited that one's god's self and showed us once what it meant to be truly human showed us what it meant to be true pastors okay and the minute I think I'm a pastor and that doesn't require me to walk along the seashore and call real individuals into real relationships that actually take my real time, I'm I'm a complete fraud, you know? And this this is also how you no offense, you know, and, and maybe, you know, I'm young. I may go back and listen to this podcast and think to myself, you're so cocky and so arrogant. But I look at Matt Chandler and I'm like First off, I don't even have an Instagram because I don't understand how it works. But he finds himself direct messaging women who aren't his wife online. And I think to myself, like, <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> like, I got, like, real people that are like, hey, I've got real issues. Right. You know, what I mean? it's like, I don't understand how you, how do you manage a life in which you're like shepherding real people and you also have your own family and you're also trying to like have healthy disciplines in your life. How do you even find the time to like mess around and find these random people that you're having these conversations with online? Now I understand there are some people listening to the podcast that are like, Jonathan, you must be a complete idiot and not know how sin works. Actually, no, I do understand how sin works and sin starts with lies. And one of the ways that sin has started in pastoral, in pastors, in evangelicalism in America is there's this lie that they believe that they can be a pastor disembodied. So I can be a pastor and I can be direct messaging a woman online that is not my wife. Yeah. Like it's like, it's all so, it's all so interconnected and so related you know, what our vision is of what we think that a pastor should be, how we're living into the reality of what it means to be a pastor. And furthermore, um, a pastor is someone who is a um, – Abraham Joshua Heschel said about prophets that prophets are individuals 
who share the fate of the community to whom they prophesy. I believe the same is the case for pastors. I don't just speak to my people on Sunday. I don't just preach to them and tell them about their lives and that they're going to hell in a handbasket. If anyone's going to hell in a handbasket, we all are together. And my job is to describe the situation about kind of how, where the peril is and how we can turn to God in it. And I'm a part of that. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that, that, when you were talking something that, that you brought to my mind is I feel like what's so appealing to the celebrity pastor idea is it protects me or it gets me out of really journeying with people through the most difficult times of their life. And I think that, that that's where the people that I would look back and say made the most impact on my life were the people who weren't just there when things were good and fun and when we had a big crowd and things were rocking and things were cool, but they spoke into my life and were present with me as we journeyed through some of the darkest or the most difficult times in life. And I think the the disconnect is not just that you're not going to t-ball games and you're not going to basketball games. The real disconnect is you're not showing up in the hospital room and at the funeral home when loved ones have passed away or loved ones are going through difficult times or they're going through difficult times. And that the real journeying with people is not just through the good, not just through the awesome, but it's when life throws them a curveball and the people are trying to figure out where God is, trying to figure out where Jesus is and where Jesus is, is in physical bodies of their church people who are present there and and not trying to explain why this is happening, not trying to give a, a theological dissertation as to why they're going through this. They're just present and they're just there saying, we are here. Like whatever you need, whatever you're, you're journeying through, we are going to make sure that you are never alone, that you uh, know that, that you uh, have our, your churches behind you and that you're going to, we're going to get through this together, whatever may come. And when you're sad, guess what? I'm going to be sad too. And when you're crying, I'm going to be there crying with you. When you celebrate, I'll be there celebrating with you. But it's not just the celebration part that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. I'm interested in being here with you all through life. And so that's tough. I mean, that that is not easy. Um, that is not something that um, that is... Um, that I think, I don't, I don't think that people understand sometimes when they come into pastoral ministry that, that hurting with people may be the highest calling. I, I think Henry Nowen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer and the yep. way that we truly understand what it means, I think, to be that shepherd pastor is not just things are great, but it could be even through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your yeah. rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare yeah. a table for me in the presence of the You anoint my head with oil. Right. Like m- most of that psalm is about when we're going through the difficult times. Um, there is some good times too in the, in the Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. But I think that the disconnect of the celebrity pastor is... You see me either on a screen or on a stage when the music's pumping and lights are cool and the fog machine and nothing against all those things. But this is every time you see me, it's usually a celebration. It's usually a a fun time. But the moments that you don't see me are when you're really going through a difficult time. And I think sometimes with the big churches, not always, but they hire staff people to do that 
And then there becomes a disconnect with, once yep. again, that teaching pastor yep. who is journeying with me through this time. And I'm not, once again, not saying that that's good, bad, and different, I, but I think it's a fact. I, guess. I would say it's bad. <laughs> I would I would go so far. Sure. I mean, I think there is a, but I'm just saying it, you lose that connectedness. So can I, so can I, I, yeah. I want to, I want to, um, I tell you that I completely affirm everything that you're saying. And I want to say that part of, I think part of our problem socially right now in America is a pastoral problem. And I think that we've, so pastors, at least as I understand pastoral ministry in the tradition of Christianity is that a pastor is to be a model of how to live and pastors have become disconnected from people and people have become disconnected from each other. And so we live in such a disconnected reality because somehow we have bought this idea as pastors that we can be leaders in our communities completely disconnected from relationships, completely disconnected from the hospital, completely disconnected from individuals' homes. And that's not, that's actually not even Orthodox Christianity in any sense. That's not incarnational understanding of, of reality, you know? And I, I think that, I think that we have a major pastoral and theological crisis in America right now. And much of it is because we do not have an embodied shepherding understanding of the vocation of the pastor. And I think it's demonstrated, you know, in, in these different episodes that we're finding in popular evangelicalism of megachurch pastors, megachurch pastors falling morally. And maybe just even the vocation of the church because of oh, man, a lack yeah. of understanding. Like you look at Acts 2 and they were meeting in each other's homes daily sometimes, yep. breaking bread together. And and thousands were being added to their number daily. Um but I think it had to do because, once again, the word you use, that that incarnational understanding of living and doing ministry um, attracts people. They, people want to be a part of something like that. Yes, they do. And and we've, we've bought the lie, not all, but we a lot of people bought the lie that if we can just make the music louder and get the, the, the right teacher and get the talking head, um, that's what's going to attract people. And I think that it's part of our problem is I think once again, this younger generation just sees through that inauthenticity in a, in a big way. And um, so, yeah, I, I have hope and, and I'm hoping that, that we can start to have better conversations and start to figure it out. And I, I don't think that means that we won't have big churches, but I think big churches are going to have to figure out how do you feel small and right. um, and get people into smaller groups and to right. smaller understanding communities um and 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 so i i know a lot of churches are trying to figure that out but i feel like it's just a hard thing because of the the culture of the church that that with the church growth movement in the 80s and the 90s you know it takes sometimes a generation to get beyond that mentality um to saying Okay, we're not discrediting what you did, but we're just not sure it was totally faithful to who we think God may be calling us to be in our community and what that looks like. Right. No, I think that I think that you make a, a great point and and I think that people are asking themselves the question in the world right now, what even is the point of the church? Yeah. And part of the reason that they're asking themselves that question is because we have allowed it to become a disembodied reality that you attend online. Yeah. Because 
somehow that does something. I don't even understand the online thing, honestly. I think it's one of the strangest things. And I, I, I really do think that it's just a season. I don't know that. Um, I, I do know that it will, the, the, the biggest and best, you know, will always have a following and a viewership and there will always be money connected to it. But I don't know that this online thing, I don't know that churches my size or your size or smaller are going to moving forward, you know, put a lot of stock in online church. I think that they're going to maybe live stream their services for the sake of the elderly that are shut in. And we've all realized how to do that now. But as far as like, putting hundreds and thousands of dollars into production. I don't, I think that even churches are already starting to ask the question, what's the point of this? Right. Like, what are we doing this right. for? Like there are the people online are long for the ride, but we're going to focus on the people who are actually sitting right. in the pews. Absolutely. And so I think part of like, like the shut-ins is they can watch online, but then it's up to the church to go still be the church yes. for them. It <laughs> means something to the shut-in if the pastor is visiting, if the people from the church are coming and, you know, showering with love, that's actually, there's a meaningful connection and a reason for the connection to be there. Absolutely. But in a strange way, that's actually not disembodied then. It's not either you know, or, it's got to be a both end. Yes. Yes. Not, right. to, not to the neglect of. So, so yeah, you know, like it's, here we are. And <laughs> once again, we solved all the world's problems. <laughs> I don't know that I have a great wrap up, but yeah, I think that, I think that just the, the hope today was to really talk about the situation, kind of the disembodied situation of pastoral ministry, and maybe to call us to a higher vision of what the church could be and ought to be. And if you're listening and not fully engaged in a local community, maybe this would be the call to say, I need to do that. Yeah. I need to get involved. I need to find a place. And and listen, the church has all stripes and sizes and 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 expressions. Um and I think just find a place once again that you can plug into your community and a, a place that, that really tries to lift Jesus up. Yeah. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.